Welcome to the Command Post Podcast, powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Brand Ambassador. Thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to have Paul Combs as my guest. Before we start, I'd like to share a little background about him. Paul is the editorial cartoonist for Fire Engineering Magazine and is the author of four books, with the fifth coming soon, and illustrator of the best-selling children's book, Sprinkles the Fire Dog. Paul joined the fire service in 1995 and has been a fire service instructor since 2000. He is a retired lieutenant for the City of Bryan Fire Department in Ohio. Paul is also an FDIC presenter, keynoter, and hands-on training instructor. He's the recipient of the 2018 George D. Post ISFSI Instructor of the Year Award. He is currently an instructor with OnScene Training Associates and the City of Bryan Regional Training Academy. It's my privilege to have Paul on the podcast today. Let's get it started. Paul Combs, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How are you? I am fine, Chief. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure. It's a, it's an honor to have uh, America's uh, fire service artists uh, on our <laughs> artist on our on our podcast. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure about that, but thanks. <laughs> no, we just we want to kind of get caught up with what's going on in your world and uh, and see how things are going. Um, but first, I got to ask um, to kick this off. What came sure. first, your time in the fire service or you as an artist? Oh, me as an artist. I have yeah. always been an artist. Yeah. I, uh, you know, honestly, from the time I could pick up crayons, I knew I was going to be an artist. You know, I mean, I, I, I created my first comic book when I was six years old. That's awesome. So, you know, art has always been part of my life. Uh, to me, that's that's as much a, a part of my life as breathing. I can't I can't imagine any part of my life without creating you know, in some way, you know, in some aspect or, or another. So, uh, yeah, definitely art. Do you still have that comic book? You know, I don't know. My, my father has, you know, tubs of old stuff. And from time to time, I still come across some of the artwork that I did. Uh, just look at some through some old photographs. As you know, um, my father's going through a battle of dementia. Um, yeah. So and, and part of that is I go and I, and I try to find some of the old photographs, family photographs to take to him just to kind of, help, you know, help his mind stay engaged. Um, in doing so, I found some old pieces of artwork that I did when I was probably eight, nine, 10 years old. So, yeah, you know, snuck, you know, snuck away in some of these old photographs and stuff. So it's kind of fun to kind of relive some of that. And, uh, you know, to be honest, a lot of times when I see these, I can even remember back where I was when I drew them. That's fantastic, Paul. Um, and again, um, my best to my best to your dad. I know this is oh, going to be you. a difficult time. So um, yeah, it, it really is an insidious disease. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to watch him right. go through this, but thank you. Insidious is right. That's the right word for it. Yeah. So what uh, what uh, led you to the fire service? You know, I <laughs> my, my life seems to be a series of I, I, I accidentally stumble into things. You know, and the fire service really is the same thing. I, I hadn't given it much thought. Um, I was working for the postal service at the time. And I actually went over to a buddy's house to help him move a sliding glass window that his, um, his uncle had given him. And when I walked in, his uncle was a retired firefighter. You know, like most firefighters, we have a room designated to all the awards, all the tchotchkes, all that sort of thing. And, right. I, and I simply asked, what is it like to be a fireman? And three hours later, he talked me into being one. That's awesome. You know, uh, and it, it was as simple as that. And from the first time I walked into a firehouse, it felt like home. 
and I knew I'd kind of found my place, you know, so that, that's, that's as simple as it gets is I, I got into it late. I didn't start in the fire service until I was 28 years old. That's not too late. That's it's not, not too, too late, late, but I, you know, like most things now that I'm at the end of it and, and I've retired, I wish I had those 10 years prior, you know? Right. Right. You know, so, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's been an amazing journey. So tell, tell, tell me a little bit more about that journey. What department did you work for and or departments did you work for? And, and you said, you, you know, I know I knew you'd retired, but maybe kind of share, share a little bit about that journey um, in the fire service and, and kind of how it paralleled your, your art, uh, your art and then how you branched into fire art. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I stayed with one department my entire career, city of Bryan fire department here in Ohio. Um, we serve about 13,000 residents. Okay. Uh, it's a it, it's a combination department, and uh, you know I I we I had a a brief two year period where I moved to Tampa to be the editorial cartoonist for the Tampa Tribune. Okay. But aside from that, I've spent my entire uh, career here at the City of Bryan. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I I joined the fire service in '95, and uh, you know you think it would have been a no brainer to to marry the two, you know, but uh, it it took a few years for that that epiphany light bulb to come on. That hey, you know, let's let's start doing some artwork for the fire service as well. But I'm actually classically trained as an artist. I, I at that point I had never done any type of cartooning, so okay. the the early work was very realistic. Um, you know, it was it was puppy dogs and fire helmets, and it was it, a lot like what the work at the time Mark Mermoring was doing. I think I'm pronouncing his last name correct. Uh, um, uh, trying to think of some of the other artists at that time. That were doing some amazing work, but very detailed work, and it kind of married that a little bit, I think. Okay. Um, you know, technically, I'm sure it was okay, but it really didn't have the heart and soul that I was really looking for. And again, stumbling onto things in my career, in '93, uh, I was approached by a advertising agency to do some editorial cartoons against another advertising agency as a joke. And at that time, I'd never done any type of cartooning, and just the process of researching political cartoons at the time, I fell in love with that craft because Dick Kramer was the other artist I was trying to think of. So you get somebody like, like that and with my art and you ask us to do realistic drawings, they're going to be somewhat similar, okay. you know, just by the nature of doing realistic type drawings. But if you ask, you know, 10 cartoonists to do that, you're going to get a wide variety of different styles, different approaches, different outlooks. And I fell in love with that originality of that craft. And in the process of just researching it, um, within six months, I was hired as the staff cartoonist for the Tampa Tribune. Oh wow! I, I don't, I don't, I don't do things half. You know, if I'm doing something, it's 100. So I fell in love with this, and I dove right in, both feet. You know, didn't care. And I was actually at the Tampa Tribune, out of the fire service at that point. I was still hanging out at some of the firehouses in Tampa. Just I had to keep that fix. You know, right. So after work, I would stop by on my way home and, you know, have coffee with those guys and talk. But uh, the Fire Act had just become uh, major news in 2005. And I did an editorial, a political cartoon about the Fire Act, and my editor put it in the Tampa Tribune. And that evening, I approached Firehouse.com about whether or not that they wanted to just share that cartoon. And by that evening, I had a contract to be their staff cartoonist. Oh, geez. And just to get that fast is how, you know, it happened that I became a fire service cartoonist. And then in 2008, I made the move over to fire engineering, which had always been home for me. 
Um, I'm a two hour drive from Indianapolis. So I grew up in the fire service going to FDIC and getting to know Chief Halton and, you know, and, and, and fire engineering was the magazine that was always at the firehouse, you know, and it was For always sure. the magazine I gravitated to. So that was just a natural move when, when Bobby asked me to come over, but uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it, you know, it truly is, you know, I, I always uh, joke with my wife that life is a lot like Forrest Gump. You know, where you see the, you're just a feather kind of floating through the wind and you just never quite know where you're going to land. And you never know. What my you're life and get. career has kind of mirrored that. It's just, it's incredible. It really has. That's, well, that that's quite a story. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. So, um, yeah. So I've been doing the editorial cartoons now since 2005 for the fire service. Um, How many would you say you've done? Uh, to, you know, I just, I just saw my folder. Um, just kind of reorganizing and recategorizing things. It's 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 well over four, uh, 750 at this point. Wow, 750. Well, I don't think uh, half the fire service instructors don't don't. Uh, I don't think half of them. You know, at least half of them have one of your cartoons in their PowerPoint presentations. Or yeah, you know, in, and that is perfectly fine. And and when they reach out, you know, and they ask for permission, which I love it when they ask for permission. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but I always yeah. give them that permission as long as you know you don't alter the cartoon because honestly, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about making that difference. About giving. About get creating that conversation. You know, and if if some one of my cartoons can help an instructor do that, uh, that's that's the highest honor for me in my work. Well, and it, it certainly has helped me. I know I reached out to you at one point, and uh, you graciously gave me permission to use it. So um, I know you're very very generous with that, and uh, that very much appreciated. Um, I'm you. sure I speak on behalf of anybody who's benefited from your work. So since 2005 and 2008 with um, with fire engineering. Mm -hmm. And then you've got some books also. What, what yeah, are so? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. You've got some. Just oh. share share some of the book the books that you've done, and then we'll we'll talk about your latest project. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I've got four drawn by fire collections, uh, which span that entire um, up until I think the last book was published in 21. So um, all the cartoons up to that point are in books in four volumes, um, and then. Uh, uh, a few years ago, Chief Frank Mascuso approached me with a with a great children's book idea. And I get approached a lot for children's books. Uh, but for some reason, this one really struck home because I have always hated bullies. And any fight I have ever been in in my life has been against a bully. And when he approached me with the first idea for Sprinkles the Fire Dog, and it had the bullies, I didn't really care as much about drawing sprinkles as I really wanted to stick it to the bullies in the book. <laughs> you know so uh but we, we you know that was a that was a tremendous uh, experience and uh we published that it's now a bestseller through fire engineering books and video um and you know the beautiful thing of that book and it's something we didn't anticipate was we started getting a lot of photographs afterwards of people reading to their kids mm -hmm. and what we didn't anticipate was this how much of a how much of a de decompression this book would be for family time, that it would give you a way to come off a shift, maybe a hard shift, and have that family time with your kids and read something to them. That was still about for the fire service. Yes. You know, and it, it really kind of took a life of its own on this mental health um, journey that it, that it has been on since we published it. And we didn't anticipate that. You know, we knew that it would be a great leadership tool and, and, and we actually designed this and, and illustrated it so it wouldn't just be for kids. I mean, adults would enjoy it as well. 
and my copy, I enjoy it. But all the outpouring of the photographs and everything of people with this family time. And I think that's, to me, that's been the, the, the biggest joy of that book. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, we just we just finished. I just uploaded the files for the second Sprinkles the Fire Dog uh, as of last night. So that is pretty much encompassed the last two months of my life. Uh, I always joke with Frank that it takes him two hours to write a story, but it takes me three months to illustrate it. Um, oh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, but it's it's great. And he 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 once again wrote just a, a story that is just an absolute home run. Uh, this one's called Sprinkles, the Fire Dog 2, Making a Difference. Um, and uh, again, a subject close to my heart, because it's what I speak on, is making that difference in the lives of others. And in this book, we get to explore uh, Sprinkles doing that. So I think it's going to yeah, be great. Uh, it's going to be yeah, great. We'll be starting pre-orders uh, probably within a month, but we're going to debut it at uh, FDIC this year in, in April. Oh, outstanding. How exciting. Yeah, it is. It is fun. It is fun. And it's, you know, and the funny thing is, is that I've spent my entire career illustrating one frame at a time. So like with my editorial cartoons, the entire story has to be told in one frame. Um, I had to relearn how to draw as an artist to tell a story over 24 spreads. Okay. Um, and, and in that process, again, I've kind of just fallen in love with being able to tell a story in an entire different way. And being confined with whatever text is on that page before I can tell the next story, you know. So um, it's been a blast. Frank is—I couldn't ask for a better partner uh, to, to collaborate with. He's just fantastic. Um, and yeah, I think this book—I think it's going to follow the same suit with the first Sprinkles book. I think it'll be a bestseller, and I think it's going to help uh, families come together. And again, that's the, that's the joy of this. Yeah. That, that's right. gotta be just incredibly rewarding. And just knowing that, you know, people, families are sitting down with your book. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we love those photographs when people share them, the smiles are, you know, I mean, you, you just can't put a value on that smile. No, that's a, it's a great story. No, thank you. It's a, it's a great story. Looking forward to this, looking forward to that second one coming out here very soon. Yeah. FDIC. Yeah, that's coming quick. It's going to be uh it's going to be a a a somber time. I mean, uh with, with losing Bobby this right. past December. Um I I don't know. You know, you don't really even know how to feel about this. I mean, obviously those that of us that were close to Bobby in the magazine and with the conference, um I know that they're planning some memorial uh type events for Bobby. But it's, you know, it, it, it's like the first time I submitted a cartoon uh, that because I always copy Bobby on every cartoon and he usually had some type of comment. I was going to say, share a little and, bit about and, your relationship. You know, honestly, it yeah. didn't hit home until I submitted my first cartoon and I didn't add his email. Mm. And it, then it dawned on me, this will be the first time he's never seen one, that he will never see one. Um, you know, and FDIC kind of has that same feeling. It's 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 going to be a somber event. It's it's always going to be great to come up and hug people. You know, it's it's always that annual, you know, uh, family reunion in a way. Yes. But uh, to not get that embraced by Bobby, you know, that's that, that's going to be hard. So, um, yeah, it's it's what it is. It, you know, he he left an amazing legacy. Um, and, and then the FDIC is going to be hard because of that legacy that he left. You know, I mean, he's he's. As as you probably know, I mean, he's he's one of those characters you don't forget, regardless of how you know much you knew him personally. A force of nature. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. 
Oh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, FDIC is coming quick. So tell me your plans for FDIC. Obviously, you're going to be doing the book signing there. Yeah. So uh, Frank and I will have some signing times together. I know he's going to be there briefly for a couple of days, I think, this year. Uh, his boys um, will be starting their uh, baseball, and he's he's huge in the coaching uh, baseball. So I know that there's some timing issues there for him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this will be the first FDIC in probably 10 years where I'm not going to be a hot instructor. Our hot class didn't get picked up this year, so um, I'll just be coming in. Uh, I was going to make this a short FDIC as well. Uh, Diane Rochelle uh, convinced me to make it a little bit longer, so I'll be coming in, and I'll be around the whole week so in some aspect or another. You'll see me out in the, in the nightlife with the, the rest of the fauna, I'm sure, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> You know, but uh, yeah, I'll have my class is uh, Wednesday afternoon. I have the one thirty slot. I I haven't been assigned a room yet, but um, uh, be the target will be that afternoon on Wednesday. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll be around with signing times, and I'm just, I'm the dork that walks around with these silly black glasses. So I'm like, it's like it's like Billy Goldfeder's mustache. I, I'm not recognized without the glasses. So, <laughs> so what? Uh, what? Yeah, mustache and gla glasses. So what um, what's this be the target all about? Yeah, so be the target. You know, for the longest time, um, I was doing a class either called "The Art of Making a Difference" or um, uh, "Find Your Passion," and it was all about it, 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 kind of like what the title says: it's about finding your passion, about becoming that leader. And what I realized was that, that there was a lot of people out there doing that, obviously. And they all have great messages and they all come through their lens of their experience and there's something to learn there. But what I found that was missing was, is that there wasn't a lot of people talking about what do you do once you find some success? How do you navigate that? And then how do you navigate the criticism and the backlash that's going to come? Because, I mean, as you know, in this day and time, there's backlash and criticism from everything you do, whether it's locally, whether it's nationally, whether it be at the firehouse or it be online. There's always going to be some negativity around whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. And how do we navigate that? Because depending on how we approach those things, it really defines how successful we can be. And you can do all the things right leading up to that. And then you can make one mistake when you're responding to some type of criticism that can absolutely crumble everything that you've worked for. So I wanted to put a class together to kind of explore that a little bit. So I, I still have the, I call it the 13 recipes for success. I mean, because again, in my mind, everything is a metaphor, you know, and success is kind of like putting together a good recipe. You know, you have one ingredient, that's not a recipe, but if you start adding all these different ingredients, you know, something special comes out of it. But then what I added was, is this element of success. So what happens once you've reached that? Whatever your goal may be, what happens when you've reached it? How do you enjoy the success but not bask in the success? How do you train others to you know, succeed you a little bit to where they can now take over for you so you can move on to other projects and other goals? And then the most important part is how do we navigate the criticism? You know, how do you stay out of the feeding frenzy of online media? How do you, mm. uh, how, again, how do you keep your credibility when everyone is trying to destroy your credibility? And so being the target really uh, addresses that. Um, it's funny that I, I actually launched this last year at FDIC and I did the, the cartoon that's the cover for it. And it's just a firefighter in a target that says, I will be, I will stand by my, you know, convictions and be the, the target of your criticism. 
And I didn't put any description, nothing online. I just posted the cartoon. And I wanted to see the type of comments that I would get back. Right. And 95% of the comments were to a negative nature in a sense of that being the target was a negative thing. Hmm. And the point of the class is to turn that narrative, that being the target is a positive thing. You want to make yourself the target for others to aspire to be. You want to make yourself the target for others to follow. And that being the target is something that you should aspire to be. And so that's the narrative of the class is to make it a very positive, very uplifting thing. But again, to kind of give you a roadmap, uh, again, to, 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 to navigate through your own lens of life, but to kind of give you a little bit of a roadmap on, on, on some do's and don'ts so you don't ruin the, the, the credibility and all the, all the success that you've, you know, you've worked hard to achieve. I'm sure, I'm sure in the class you probably have some examples, I would imagine, of kind of the do's and don'ts, right? Can you, can you maybe share some of those examples where you, you bring to light what, what someone maybe shouldn't have done that harmed their credibility? They, they became right. that negative target versus the positive target. Yeah, you know, so um, in the, this last class that I taught, it was, it was actually one of the students that kind of brought it up. And it is that they had worked to become an officer and they, they, they went through the whole process. Everyone had, was wanting to follow them. They thought they were going to do a, a great job. But they got into, I guess there's probably no way of better, better way to put this than a pissing match online with someone that really, really started to spiral downward. Uh-oh. And in the process of that, they lost their job. It, 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 it had got to that point. And... Again, no matter what they did up to that point, and this was a span of 24 hours that this happened. 24 hours and the 24 hours. They of, had worked of, years to achieve what they were after. And within 24 hours, they had ruined everything because they just didn't have the self-discipline to not get into that feeding frenzy of what we can do online. And so one of the things we discuss is, you know, again, how to navigate that a little bit to where. I'm not saying don't defend yourself, but there is taking a high road. There is times where it is better not to respond. And for certainly not to do it in a public eye. Right. You know, uh, there was another example where um, someone had reprimanded someone, but they did it in front of all the other subordinates. Praising public, it, chastising it, it, private. But in the process of doing so, they had not really done their homework. They had not really investigated the problem. And they completely berated someone, tore them down in front of everybody, which I think at the time, I think they said there was eight or nine people in the room. It was in a, in a kitchen setting, firehouse kitchen setting. And then come to find out this person didn't do it at all. Oh, boy. Again, completely ruined their credibility as a leader. You know, so it's, you know, we, we just kind of go through some steps, a little bit of, you know, do the due diligence. My grandfather always said, you know, that, uh, you know, never miss an opportunity to shut up. And it's, <laughs> it's a phrase that I've listened to, you know, I, I've tried to, you know, uh, abide by my entire life because there are times where you just need to listen. What's going on? Is there a problem as an officer myself? Is there a time where I had to reprimand somebody? All right. I know that I'm not going to do that in front of others, but I need to find out exactly what's happened. I need to go by and I need to ask other people. Did you witness this? Did you see what was going on? Everything around it. So by the time that I get this firefighter in my office or we're in front of the, you know, the, the, the front of the fire engine, that 
that's a private setting. It's a private conversation. I know the steps that I need to take probably before I even speak to them. And I never do this in front of someone else. Right. And again, this is things that we probably already know, but how easy is it for us to get emotionally tied into something to where we make a wrong decision? Well, and so like, that is one of the, the lessons that we talk about is taking that step back, taking that breath, taking emotion out of it so you can make intelligent decisions, decisions and actions that don't disrupt everything that you've worked hard for. So easy to describe it, but it's hard to put in. It's, it can be hard to put in practice. I mean, Brunacini was a master of that too. talk less, talk less, listen more. Right. And yeah. well, think- exactly. You know, and one of the other you know, explanations we give is and so you even start talking about online. Um, and, and again, I'm not I, I'm not a social media hater, you know, but it is a double edged sword for sure. And email, all that is still part of it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Coach John Gruden of the Las Vegas Raiders found this out the hard way a couple of years ago that an email he wrote, what was it, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, came back to get him fired. And a time where he just thought he was making a joke. Things have consequences. Actions have consequences. Words have consequences. Mm, for sure. And you've got to be careful what you're putting out there. Because um, trust me, I mean, I get my share of criticism online. And sometimes I have a lot of fun with them. You know, it's, it's like wrestling a pig in the mud. You know, the, the pig is always going to win. Well, don't get into a match with me, you know, with you know when we can ha- start having some fun with stuff. Because if somebody has an intelligent debate, I like, I'll have that debate with you all day. But sometimes people just throw bricks. And depending on the brick they throw, I'm going to have some fun with it. But even then, I take the high road. I don't escalate something down into name calling. I don't escalate something down to where I know that that's going to come back at some point in time and bite me. You know, I'm even conscious of the people I work with on a freelance basis. That if a company comes to me and they want um, some type of illustration drawn, I actually research the company. Are these individuals with integrity that I want my name and my brand and my artwork to be attached to? Right, right. You know, so I mean, you you just in this day and age, you've really got to be conscious of this because so much of this can come back to bite us. Yeah, and and you know, doing that due diligence, like you said, um, associating yourself. You know, it's it's not just guilt by association, but it's um, a benefit by association too. Yes, with you, absolutely. With, with who you choose to to associate with, and and so doing that research has got to you know, yes, got to you've got to protect your brand. You've got to protect yeah. what you're. What and you're, I've got to believe in the product there. as well. You know, it's it, right. I don't just take on a project just because they're paying. You know, I've got to believe in the product that I'm representing. You know, so. Yeah, but I mean, so Be the Target explores a lot of this. Um, and we we end up having some great conversations, you know. And it's, again, it's a, it's amazing how many times people feel like they have that target on their back. And it, it, it sometimes it's a hard sell to make them realize that that target's a good thing and that you can control that narrative, but it takes work. What do you, what do you talk about as far as the work goes? If, I mean, again, I know this isn't going to be... Uh... <laughs> compression of the actual class but i i think right. i'd be kind of curious what when you when you talk about what what do you share with the group with the uh the the students about making that target a positive thing you know again and it comes back to those you know those recipes for success that you know uh the, the first one is it starts with passion you know so you've got to be the pat the person with passion 
because, you know, no, no great cause has ever started without someone with passion. And then, you know, then you've got to make that change the person you see in the mirror every day because no one's, you know, if you're not going to make the change in you, then no one's going to follow you. You know, so, I mean, it, there are a lot of, there are a lot of lessons like that, that we explore. Um, integrity is probably the biggest thing that I, that I stress is that um, all this, all this is built to that, that integrity is the foundation of everything we do. That if we don't have that integrity, then, you know, nothing, the, 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 the leadership, the, the, you know, if we don't have the integrity to be able to put in the work, even if as a chief, if I came to you and I wanted to start a new training program and say, hey, chief, there's a, I, I, I want to start this RIP program. And you're like, okay, great. What, what, you know, how do you want to do this? I don't know. I've saw a couple of videos online. You know, it's like, okay, you know, there's not a, there's not a lot of integrity to the, to the, to the, to the, what I'm bringing you at that point. You know, maybe a little, maybe a little bit a lot of passion of that I've actually put in the work for this. But if I come to you and say, chief, there's a RIP program that I'd really like to start. Yeah. I've seen some online videos, but I, you know, there's some techniques that I'd like to try with our crews, you know, depending on the crews we have, uh, you know, I may be able to do this in the mornings for over three shifts. And these are the techniques that I want to use. And these are the, the equipment that we already have on hand that I want to try and we can train on to become better at and also maybe try some other techniques. And if I come at you with that, then what I'm coming at you is what has some integrity to it. And you also believe that I put in the work to be able to make this successful. Passion with effort. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we do. We explore quite a bit of that in the class. Um, and, uh, you know, again, we have good time with it, but it's in, it's about turning the narrative from a negative to a positive. Nice. Well, that sounds like a wonderful class to attend. Well, thank you. Yeah. Not and sure. we have some fun too, because the longer classes and speaking of some of the, I call it fan mail, but you know, the hate mail that I get and my responses and some of the fun we have, I actually share those in the class because, you know, when we talk about the backlash and so we have a little bit of fun with that. But the whole point of that being is that you're always damned if you do and damned if you don't. And if that's the case, why not do? If you're always going to get criticized, no matter what you do, because do there's been some cartoons I put out there. It's like, oh, who could possibly get mad at this? And someone gets mad about it, you know? And so there's always going to be some type of criticism. If you're the person taking action, someone's going to criticize you. If you're the person who never gets out of the recliner, never wants to do anything, Someone's going to criticize you. So if you're going to get criticized no matter what, then take that action. Be the person leading the front. 100%. Yeah. So before we get into, I want, to, want you to share, kind of preparing your mind a day, what, what a day in the life of Paul Combs looks like and kind of share that with the listeners. But before we do that, give us an example of a cartoon or cartoons where you thought it was pretty innocuous, but yet you received some negative feedback and how you handled it. Because <laughs> I think that's going to be, I think it's, the, the one it's that kind of fascinating. Mind, and, it's, and it's a cartoon I, I share in my class. And oh my gosh. It, and I did it just to be a smart aleck. I really did. I put out a cartoon that just got a ton of backlash. And and just to be a smart aleck, a wiseacre, I did a white cartoon with a purple dot in the center. And I was like, there, I've just created the perfect cartoon. No one could possibly get angry about this. And I put it out on social media. Within the hour, I had someone respond to me. I see what's going on here. 
this is a, you know this is this is a this the, oh, what was it this is a this is the black race and a sea of white or something they turned it into something very oh. racial oh my goodness and it was a purple and, dot and it was just this it was just this hate you know frothing email that i received from this <laughs> and my only response was you just reminded me of why i should have become a goat farmer instead of a cartoonist <laughs> That again, but it just reinforces, and I always end with that cartoon as as far as the backlash part of my cartoons, just to reinforce that no matter what you do, you're going to get that criticism. So how are you going to respond to it? You know, I I could have I could have sent back something just as angry. Yeah, but you're just feeding the fire. You just yeah. What would it have accomplished? You know, it doesn't take long when you go on social media. Oh my gosh, just pick anything that has a comment section. How fast does it take for that to spiral downward into name calling, into something personal, things that they would never say to your face? Of course not. You know, and, you know, and of course, the worst always comes from, you know, what, Fire Dog 365 or something like that. You know, something where they're hiding behind the anonymity of just, you know, a name or, you know, a, a, a handle. And you can't get yourself tied into that feeding frenzy. You know, so you, you do, you just take the high road, you laugh about it, you know, because at the end of the day, none of these people matter to me. They are not, they're, none of these people are people of integrity that I want to impress. I have a small circle of people that, that I led into my life. And it's those people that matter to me. And I would never want to do anything that would, I guess, again, we talked about integrity, ruin my integrity with those friendships. Right. You know, and those are the people that if they're impressed, I feel good about myself because I know their integrity. So I don't take, you know, I don't take this stuff to heart. You know, nobody likes to be criticized, but everyone's going to be criticized. You know, somebody will watch this, you know, podcast and I'm sure criticize it, whether they do it publicly or not. So do it anyway. Do it anyway. Exactly. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Follow your passion. Be out there because you're going to change the lives. You're going to change the life of somebody. You know, um, I take some, you know, the, and it's, it's not as much these days as when I started doing some of the mental health cartoons. Hmm. Um, and that all started with, uh, in 2008, my lieutenant committed suicide. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story in our conversation. No, but let's, yeah. Um, so it took about a year, but I did a cartoon about it. My very first mental health cartoon. It was just two firefighters sitting in the back of uh, a fire engine and one had a sign around his neck that said, I've been thinking about suicide, please help. And the tagline was, if it was only this obvious, because we did not see the suicide of my Lieutenant coming. He was at Marlboro man. When I first walked into the firehouse, he was yeah. sitting, you know, he was staying, when I first walked in, he was standing at the back bay door back when you could smoke in the firehouse, you know, and he's, he's, he's taking those long draws and he's got those squinty eyes. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's the fireman I want to be, you know? <laughs> and he was that first in last out guy. He was the one that would stop anything and get down on the floor with you to show you a, a, a drill. But he would be also be the first one to chew your butt if you messed up. You know, and we knew that he was having some issues in his life, but he was still the, the funniest guy in the firehouse. And he was still the hardest working guy in the firehouse. And we just didn't see it coming. So I did a cartoon that just says, you know, sometimes it's not this obvious. The whole point of this was, to have that conversation with people, get to know them, dig a little deeper in their life. If they're having issues, ask questions. 
And I ended up getting some backlash out of that. You know, it's like, oh, how dare you, you know, bring up this topic? Because again, in 2008, it wasn't as easy to talk about as it is in 2023. Right. You know, we've, we've, I think we've matured a little bit more in the fire service with mental health since then. 100%. So at the time, it was a subject that people just did. It was taboo. You just didn't talk about. It. You know, um, but then a few years later, I get a, an email from a, a chief out in the Chicago area. And he was telling me a story about they had a uh, they had an EMT and she had been having a lot of issues at home. Uh, she had had some really, really bad calls in a short period of time, uh, some involving children. And she was starting to spiral downward. They tried interventions. They tried different things and nothing was working. And they were really starting to feel the worst with her. Until one day she walked into this chief's office, closed the door, handed him her phone. And on that was that cartoon. Mm. And the conversation that she just couldn't start, she used that car cartoon to do. That's and powerful. That cartoon started the conversation. He was just telling me the story, you know, and that makes all the criticism worth it. hundred percent. I have no idea how many lives my work is, is touched, but I know that cartoon touched one. That day. That's a great story. What a great story. And, you know, from time to time, I get an email from this chief kind of giving me an update. She's doing great. She's remarried. Life is, you know, is, is doing much better for her, but I, I don't know what would have happened without a catalyst to start that conversation. That's powerful. Um, right so, there. you know, you, you talk about cartoons that, that made an impact or that, you know, that, that, that I feel the strongest about or ones that, that help people that made that difference. Because, you know, one of the things I always talk about in my class, and I always started with this silly picture of me with a dog. And it was a it was a training scenario of a dog out on a frozen pond that turned into a rescue, and the local paper snapped a picture of me with this dog on my arm, soaking wet. And there's a whole story that goes with it, but the the gist of it being is that the little things that we do that make the biggest impact in the lives of others. And it's things like that cartoon. You know, I didn't write a book on mental health. I'm not a physician. All I did was I took a day. And I drew, I put my passion and my heart down on a piece of paper, drew a cartoon. It was something little that made a big impact in the life of someone else. And that's how I try to approach every cartoon, regardless of whether it's meant to be a gut punch or it's just meant to be something silly. Is how can I bring a smile to someone today? How can I make a, a topic more impactful today? And that's how I approach these. You said uh, it's one day you did that uh, that article that, that cartoon on the uh, suicide and how uh, it could be that obvious. So speaking of days, what's a day in the life of Paul Combs like? Oh my gosh, that's kind of scary. Uh, you know, I mean, I so okay on on a typical day, uh, I'm an early riser. It, it irritates my wife to no end, but you know, I, I'm one of these that I don't. I, I don't get out of bed slowly. You know, I'm kind of a Jack Russell. I'm up, I'm bouncing, I'm all over the place. Starts with a cup of coffee. Um, and I guess this is a, a throwback to my political editorial cartoon days is the first thing I do is I start reading the news. Mm -hmm. NPR is on. I'm reading the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post. Um, I still follow some political cartoonists. Um, and, I, and I just kind of get my news first thing in the morning while I'm having my coffee. And then I uh, start making a list of uh, uh, the different things that I want to accomplish that day. 
Um, if it is uh, something that I'm actually doing where I got the creative process has got to be strong. Um, I'm a huge music lover and music is always playing in the studio. It sounds weird not having music in, in the studio right now during the podcast. <laughs> and I, maybe I mean music or something, just something playing elevator music, <laughs> you know, but I cannot have words or I cannot, I cannot have music with words or any type of beat while I'm creating because in my mind, that's what I'm paying attention to. So in the morning, it's classical or uh, soundtracks. Oh, you know, something that's more that, that, that's very. It, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of nuances to it. It's got a lot going on, but there's no lyrics and no beat. Right. And so, because the mornings are, you know, that 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 before noon hour is usually when I do my most creative work. The afternoon are kind of the but the nuts and bolts of things. Uh, that's where I'm actually doing just the physical drawing or the digital painting of it. And then it's, you know, it's Metallica or it's, you know, Slash or it's usually something hard and heavy and fast and <laughs> loud. And, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm playing air drums and, you know, and <laughs> but that's kind of a day in the life of me, you know, and I, I try to stop at five o'clock when my wife gets home so we can have our time together and nice. uh, go for walks and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I'm, I never quite stop. Um, she knows that if she watches something boring, I'm going to have an iPad or a, a, a pad of paper in front of me and I'm going to be working while we're, you know, having our together time. But <laughs> I'm probably more engaged during that because there's part of my brain that's it's, it's, it's taking care of that creative side so I can have more one-on-one -on -one conversations. And which irritates me to no end because if she's watching Hallmark, I'm paying more attention to it. And I know more about the characters and the plot than she does. So it's, you know, if you've ever watched Hallmark, you'll know what I'm talking about. So, you know, so th there's a lot of that, but you know, it, there's a lot of ebb and flow to my day being self-employed. Um, you know, it's uh, just like doing this, the Sprinkles, the Fire Dog sequel. You know, I mean, it's been two months of doing just that. No freelance work. I haven't been doing any. I, luckily, I had some evergreens saved up. And that's a newspaper term of cartoons that I've already had created that are just kind of sitting in a vault waiting to be used mm -hmm. that I could give to, you know, fire engineering. Aside from the, the Bobby tribute cartoons that I created, I haven't done anything new in three months for them because everything has been about this book. And so the past two days, I just needed to completely purge that part of my brain and work on something totally different. And so I've been doing these drawings of uh, uh, been working on a flying pig. I don't I know saw why. that. I saw so, that. Actually, if you can see it, I can. It's in the back there. It's yeah, actually yeah. Board behind me. It's still working. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, I, I finished it up last night, and it just felt so good to have the graphite stained hands, and you know, and and, and finally get my hands on something that wasn't working on a digital screen and, and create something. So, you know, in, in a day of a life of Paul Combs is kind of all over the board. Sounds like sounds like good days. It is. It, I wouldn't have it any other way. I've tried working real jobs. I'm no good at it. You know, you, you've got a calling, right? You're basically, you've got your calling that you're, you're adhering to. Yeah. Yeah. So what else before we wrap up today, what else would you like to share um, in any aspect of whether it's from be the target, your art, um, anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? You know, I, I, in the conversations that we have, that I have with people, 
it, it usually turns from my standpoint to what are you reading? You know, I'm always interested in what people are reading. Um, and I, and I firm, I'm a firm believer of that, that, you know, that, and even the, the, the people that I know that, um, that are in their eighties and nineties that are still very physically active, mentally active. Uh, you know, my, my, my mother-in-law is one of those and I call them readers walkers that that's what they're engaged in. They're always reading. So they're keeping their mind active. They're always walking. So they're keeping their body, you know, physically, right. Active. You know, so I'm, I'm always interested in what people are reading. Because, you know, in some instances, that tells me a little bit about them. But, uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm a terrible conversationist. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, terrible conversation. So as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as someone who shies away from conversational, you know, uh, 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 moments, it gives me something to use as an icebreaker. You know, so, yeah, you know, I, I love to know what people are reading. Um, I encourage people to read. Uh, and it doesn't always have to be, and I know we're talking fire service here, but it doesn't always have to be leadership and fire service. You know, find inspiration outside of that. I mean, I'm, I'm reading Sherlock Holmes now and I'm starting the, the whole canon from, you know, yeah. and, 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 and I love that, that it, it, it kind of keeps things grounded for me. That, you know, something written, written in the late 1800s, it still has gravity today. You know, so... Uh, I would just encourage people that, you know, just take an active role in reading. Try to read something every single day because uh, it does, it keeps you more mentally active. And if you're in a leadership role, I think it, it, it just helps keep you grounded. It helps give you a sense of purpose if you are reading. Again, it doesn't have to be always fire service. But uh, just, you know, for people to understand that just because we have that symbol and that badge, that doesn't mean it owes us something. You know, and if there's something I want to leave people with is that badge and that symbol owes you nothing, you know, but if you give yourself to it, it will give you absolutely everything. Mm. And I'm living proof of that. You know, there's nothing really special about me. There are a lot of people that draw. And like you were saying at the beginning of this, I'm the fire services, you know, cart, you know the, I'm the fire service artist. You know, there are so many people out there that are talented artists and probably more talented than I am. But I have achieved what I've achieved because I take that passion and I've given it to the fire service. And in turn, I find myself on a podcast here with you today. You know, so hmm. that, you know, that, 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 that symbol may give you a sense of purpose. It may give you a salary, a pension, a sense of community, but it really owes you nothing. And it's what you give to it. It's what you'll get back. Well, that's a great way to close out, Paul. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, You're very welcome. I, I wish the best for your dad. Thank you. And Thank uh, you. I wish you, you today. Oh, very good. Um, and I, I wish you a success with, uh, speaking of reading, um, we want to make sure everybody reads uh, Sprinkles too. Yes. Yes. And send pictures. We love to see, we love that. We love those family time photos. And you'll be able to get it at FDIC this year. So that's, that's fantastic. So I can't thank you enough for spending time and sharing sharing your story and words of inspiration. Uh, and you, know, you make a big difference out there, Paul. I mean, you, you when I say you're, you know, the fire service, American fire service artist, I, I, you are. You, you, I mean, you really are. And, uh, you know, well, you, you. thank you. Yeah, it's you're you're a blessing to uh, to all of us. And when, I'm grateful for you to take time to be on uh, on the podcast today. It was an honor. Thank you for the invite. Uh, pleasure.